What's up, Traders Point family? How's everybody doing today? So good to be with you. And uh, want to uh, welcome everybody gathering across all of our physical locations. Those of you joining us online, wherever you happen to be tuning in from, we're so glad to have you. And today we are starting a brand new series of messages that's going to take us all the way up through uh, Christmas, if you can believe that. We're going to be studying the book of Romans together. And I hope that as many of you as possible were able to get your hands on one of our Romans journals coming in. Um, I just got word just as I was coming up here that we've actually run out of these uh, at uh, multiple our campuses. And so that's a good sign. That just means a lot of you are here. And uh, so we will uh, try to reorder more and, and get these in your hands. But I want to uh, encourage you to use this. Uh, put your name and your number in the front of it just in case you accidentally leave it or lose it so we can get it back to you. And we designed this and we, we wanted to be free for everyone because we want you to get as much out of this as possible. And so I know that not all of you are note takers, but you might just have it in front of you because uh, something might get said or taught. And uh, I don't know about you, but like when I listen to like a 40 minute message, sometimes there's something impactful that I hear. And if I don't write it down, then I forget about it. And I just want you just to write down something because I, because God is going to speak through this series and I don't want you to miss it. The other thing we designed this journal for is uh, for it to be used during the week, not just on the weekends, but uh, to coincide with our daily Bible reading. So if you're not signed up for that, uh, you can go to this link uh, slash DVR, or there is a QR code inside the journal. You can scan that and we will just email you a daily Bible reading and you can use the journal to take some notes um, in that as well. And I just wanna say that I really do believe that God can and will speak through the content of this series in um, a profound way if we bring our best to it. And what I mean by that is simply this. I want to make you a promise on week one of this series, and I don't often make promises so publicly, but I want to make a promise that I'm going to bring my absolute best to this every single week. Now, thank you one person. Um, <laughs> Now, I, I'm not promising that every message will be good, all right? I'm not going to promise that. I am promising simply this, that um, during the week, I'm going to come as ready as I can. One of my favorite descriptions of preaching is that all week long, I'm gathering the wood to build the fire. And I become, and then hopefully then the Spirit of God ignites the fire and it blazes bright. And so what that means is I just promise you that during the week, I am going to study myself full. I'm going to write myself clear and I'm going to preach myself empty. Right, just every week. It's just gonna come. That's my, my promise to you. All right, now, here's what I wanna ask of you. I just wanna ask you to bring your best to this as well. And some of you are like, well, what do you mean? I, I just wanna ask you to not passively listen. I don't wanna ask you just to kind of sit there and uh, be on your phone or daydream about the week or, or to even just allow the worries and anxieties to crowd out your mind because I believe that God is always speaking and He speaks especially during this time and through His Word. Oftentimes we just miss it and I don't want you to miss it. And so I want you to bring your absolute best to this. One of my favorite postures in preaching, and many of you don't think I can see you. I can actually see you. All right. And one of my favorite postures is that whenever like I start off preaching and you're kind of sitting there casually sipping your coffee or whatever. And at some point in the message, like the spirit of God just start, he ignites this thing. And all of a sudden I start seeing people lean forward and their jaws drop, drop open a little bit. And I, I love that moment. And, and that, that's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm going to ask. For, can I speak just to the online crowd for a minute? Like, I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us online. 
Uh, Traders Point Online existed before the pandemic. We knew it was going to exist even better than ever after. Uh, we believe, what I love about online, and some of you uh, have been around long enough to remember this, is that there was a day when uh, if you missed church, like for whatever reason, like sick kids at home, traveling on vacation, like you missed it. Like you just missed it. And maybe if you were really committed, you went back and you ordered the sermon CD. Or, or, or even further back, you ordered the sermon cassette tape. Some of you remember that? I got a whole bunch of sermon cassette tapes in my storage closet. All right, I can't play them now. But, but now, like, if, you know, if you got a sick kid at home, if you're traveling, like, what I love is that we just got um, thousands of people that just continue to join us if they can't. And I know that there's a bunch of people that due to maybe some, some health conditions or maybe uh, you are living with somebody that you just got to be careful of. You, you just can't physically come yet. And I just want you to know we're with you, we're for you. And that's why Traders Point Online is there. It's always been the front door of our church. But let me speak to those of you that maybe, like, can I say this kindly? Like you've just gotten a little bit lazy. And you just kind of got knocked out of your routine. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm not like, like saying anything that you haven't already told me. Many of you, like I bumped into you out and about and you're just like, oh yeah, we just haven't been there since 2019. Like it's just been so easy to just turn on YouTube, you know, when we're in bed. And I just want to say like, hey, listen, I totally get that. No judgment here. I want to just ask you, would you consider coming back? But there's just something about being here in person physically. Now you can get the content anywhere, but when you're specifically when it comes to lifting up our voices in worship, there's just nothing like being in the room. Would you guys agree? Those of you that are in the room. And so we're ready for you to come back when you're ready. Uh, we want you to be here. This would be a great series uh, to do that. Now, um, those of you that uh, know the book of Romans, you likely know that it is 16 chapters, 433 verses. There is no way in God's green earth we're going to get through all of that in 11 weeks, right? That is just super aggressive, and I'm not uh, uh, trying to. What I want to do in this week one is kind of frame our expectations so you kind of know where we're, where we're going in this. And I want to ask you to read the book of Romans or listen to the book of Romans on your own so you get the most out of this. But Romans can be divided into four parts, all right? And uh, I want to highlight this. Uh, chapters 1 through 4 just, just could be headed the righteousness of God. In other words, Paul's going to painstakingly point out the problem that we all have. And it's a sin problem. And it's actually way worse than you thought it was. And it's going to be really, really sobering information. But he has to give us the bad news uh, before he gives us the good news because that's what makes good news good. And so in, chapter, in, the, in the next section, chapters 5 through 8, is labeled the grace of God. It's my favorite part of Romans. And he says, hey, the grace of God is better than you thought. And then the third part is 9 through 11, the plan of God, meaning this was always his plan. Even as you read back through the Old Testament, we get echoes of it. Jesus is all over the scriptures. And then the fourth part is the will of God. And that is God just kind of, uh, Paul laying out the implications for our lives. What we're going to do in this series is not cover all 433 verses. We are going to try to cover all four parts. And so I just want you to, to know that. Now, here in week one, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of setup. It's kind of like whenever you build a house, like you better make sure you get the foundation right. You got to pour the, the footings. And that's what I'm doing. I, I need to take a few minutes to do that. And so go ahead and get in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to cover the first few verses together. I'm going to really kind of land on the primary uh, point that Paul is trying to make it here in chapter 1. But I need to do a little bit of, of, of setup. And uh, 
how I want to do that is, have you all noticed that uh, right now, maybe more so than ever, everyone seems to have an opinion, a perspective, and a conviction, like on everything. Doesn't matter what the category is, like it could be politics, it could be social issues, it could be the economy, uh, mask mandates, vaccine, no vaccine, like everybody's got an opinion and not only an opinion, like you feel very strongly about it. And, uh, you know, we've all got these glowing rectangles that we can research anything. And, and we've all got like this, this perspective and we're very, very passionate about it. And it's almost as if we've got like this internal compass, so to speak, but all of our compasses are sort of pointing in different directions. It's like, this is the way. And somebody else comes along and goes, no, no, no. That is the way. And if you don't see this issue the way I see it, you are not my friend. And it's uh, kind of like uh, if, um, if you wanted to get uh, physically to the most north place on the planet, um, which is uh, the, the North Pole, you would get a uh, compass uh, very similar to the one I have up here. I got this on uh, Amazon uh, this last week, and it's got all kinds of bells and whistles and really cool features, uh, half of which I don't even understand. But it looks cool. And let's just say you got a compass and you wanted to travel north. And so if I'm kind of setting the compass here, this says north is right there. And if I wanted to get to the most northern place on the planet, which is the North Pole, I would set this compass in that direction and head straight that, that way. Now, many of you know that if you get a compass and you point it north and you uh, travel there, and you don't even move one inch, like you don't veer one inch, you're not going to get physically to the North Pole. And the reason why is because most magnets uh, or most compasses have a magnet inside and they don't take you to true north, which is the North Pole. They take you to magnetic north. And magnetic north is a place in Arctic um, Canada where there's iron ore in the ground and it works with the magnet in the compass and that's where it, it leads you. And uh, the magnetic uh, field is constantly, uh, slightly changing all the time based upon a variety of factors. And the difference between magnetic north and true north can actually be pretty dramatic. In fact, uh, I don't know if this is true for Android, but on your iPhone, uh, the compass of your iPhone is set to magnetic north. But you can actually go into the settings and you can turn it off and you can turn it towards true north. And if you take two iPhones and set them side by side and turn one to magnetic and one to true north, my wife and I did this this last week on our kitchen island. We set both of our iPhones side by side. She turned hers on magnetic. I turned mine on true north. And the compasses were pointing in slightly different directions, even though they were side by side. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Did you know that our pastor moonlighted as a geographic scientist? <laughs> Maybe. I know the other thing that some of you are thinking. Who cares? <laughs> like who really, I don't plan on going to the North Pole or Arctic Canada ever. So like who really cares? Like if I'm just going north across town, like I think just if I head in the same basic general direction of north, whether it's magnetic or true, then I'll eventually get there. And you may have a point when it comes to short distances physically, but when it comes to long distances spiritually, oh, it's a big deal. 
So I want to say it this way. If we follow the ever-changing magnetic pull of culture, the ideology of culture, which is shifting all the time, by the way, we will never end up at true north. And I'll explain what true north is here in just a minute. Being one or two degrees off when you are physically traveling anywhere may not seem like a big deal at first, and it's not. But after a while, it's a big deal. So to illustrate this, let's just say you're getting on a plane, you're traveling to your destination, and the plane was just one degree off. After an hour of travel, you would be one mile off course. After two hours of travel, you'd be two miles. After three hours of travel, you'd be three miles. Not actually not that big of a deal. If you land and you're three miles off from your destination, just hop in an Uber and you can get there. However, let's just say you're traveling to the moon and you get on the shuttle and you're one degree off. By the time you arrive where the moon should have been, you are 4,169 miles off. Now to put that as kind of a frame of reference, that would be like expecting your destination to be Indianapolis and you ended up in London. That's a big deal. Now, here's the point that I'm trying to drive down on. When it comes to spiritual direction in our lives, being one or two degrees off is a big deal. Maybe not after a week, maybe not after a month, maybe not even after a year. But what about 10 years of a career? What about 20 years of marriage? What about 30 years of your personal finances? I think what COVID did to all of us is it did a couple things. First of all, it unearthed some things that we weren't really dealing with. It brought it to the surface. Here's the second thing that it did. It knocked all of us off course to a certain degree. I know this would be true for me. It was just disorienting. We've never been through anything like this before. We're not quite sure what to believe. I mean, it just turned all of our worlds upside down. To be knocked off course, that was just normal. That happened for everyone. But to stay off course, well, that's on me. And I need to make a decision. Am I going to continue to travel in the direction that I'm headed? Or am I going to recalibrate? Am I going to recalibrate my life back to true north? Now, let me define what true north is. And this statement may or may not mean a lot to you right now, but I I really hope by the end of this series it does. True north is following after Jesus in every area of our lives. Now, the word for that is lordship. And that's what he died for. He, He didn't just die. This is why, like, those of you that... Got baptized. Maybe you remember somebody leading you in a confession of faith, and you said, You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is your Savior and Lord. Because He didn't just die to get you into heaven one day, He died to get heaven into you. And so, what, what is happening is with Lordship, and some of you have heard me give this illustration before. Just imagine I had a, a dresser up on stage with six drawers. And the dresser is your life, and the drawers represent the different segments of your life. And so you've got a drawer for relationships, and you've got a drawer for finances, and you've got a drawer for your career, and a drawer for your hobbies, and a drawer for your sexuality. You've got all these drawers. And what oftentimes, just the natural tendency that we all want is we want to invite Jesus into our life as Savior. Instead of like giving him the whole dresser, we clear out a drawer. 
And we say, Jesus, you can have this one. But I really need you to stay out of the other ones. I need you to stay out of my financial life. I for sure need you to stay out of my sex life. Like Jesus, you can have all the other drawers. Just don't uh, impede upon the others. And lordship means Jesus doesn't want to be a drawer in the dresser. He wants to be the dresser all the other drawers fit into. Now that might sound a little stifling. I pray that by the end of our series, that does not sound stifling because that is actually an invitation into real freedom and relationship. And what you can't do is you can't just have like one foot in and one foot out. Like you can't straddle the fence. Jesus would talk about that all the time. He would say, you're either for me or you're against me. He, he would talk about being lukewarm. He's like, I'd rather you be all out than, I'd rather you be all in than, than just kind of halfway in and out. And so here's what I think uh, COVID revealed. And some of this is actually, can, can be a good thing. But COVID revealed that we actually have a lot of casual Christians as soon as we could not physically regather, as soon as life got really, really difficult, as soon as it became really unpopular to be a Christian. Like when I was growing up, like to be a Christian kind of meant you were just like weird. And now like people look at you and go, oh, that, you're dangerous. And so people are like, if you're casual about it, like you're like, Man, I'm out. And as soon as life got really, really hard, our faith falters. And many still haven't come back. Here's another thing that COVID revealed. There are a bunch of really divisive religious nut jobs out there. Yeah, I said it. The, the fear, the fear, there's the, clo- the slow burning clap. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. The fear within them caused them to weaponize or politicize their faith. And say we said really mean-spirited and unkind things to each other. We attacked others on social media, unfortunately, in the name of Jesus, but in no way accurately representing who he is or what he has called us to, like in any way. And so what should have been like the finest hour for Christ followers to step up in the fruits of the Spirit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like this is the, this is the, it's, this is the, this is uh, the Bible's talk on this. This is the fruit of having yourself planted in the soil of Jesus Christ. And so how, how do I really know if my heart's all in with Jesus? Fruit. That's how you know. And so we've, we've, here's what I want to uh, look at is that what Romans does is Romans takes aim equally at casual Christianity and divisive Christianity, calling us back to true north. By the way, I've been guilty of both. This is not accusational. This is confessional. Where we come and we say, God, I need you to recalibrate my life. And the content of Romans has been recalibrating people's lives for centuries. And it can do so in your life as well. Some of the most influential Christian leaders of the past 2,000 years said it was reading Romans that dramatically changed their life. 
Now, I would never put myself in the category of influential Christian leader, but I will put myself in the category of somebody who read Romans as a 17-year-old kid, and it dramatically changed my life. And I grew up in church. I was kind of a church brat, Sunday school. I knew all the God answers, all that stuff. When I was 17, I don't even know why. I just started reading Romans. And I got to chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and it was that passage that led me to Jesus. For a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die, meaning give everything. For a good person, well, what does that mean? Well, I'll give up everything if I know you're going to respond to it. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. And I read it in the first person. Aaron, God demonstrated his own love for you in this. While you were still sinning, meaning while you were still rejecting God, still spitting in his face, still turning from him, Jesus died for you. And when I read that, it was like the Holy Spirit hit me with a two by four right between the eyes. And it dramatically changed my life. Now, if you, uh, maybe you recognize the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther was sort of the father of the Protestant Reformation. He was prior to that, like riddled with doubt. And here's what he said about Romans when he read it. He goes, all the shadows of my doubt were dispelled. And he goes on to talk about it. And he says, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that we should occupy ourselves with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. What does that mean? Well, it sustains you. So many times it's like, well, you know, Romans gives the fullest and plainest and clearest and most compelling explanation of the gospel. And oftentimes we think, okay, well, when I became a Christian, I got, like, I got it. I know what the gospel is. And then we move on from it. And he says, no, you actually need to stay in it. It's what sustains you so that way you don't drift off course. Because listen, right now you are a disciple. The question is, are you a disciple of Jesus or not? The culture is discipling you. CNN and Fox News are discipling you. What you read on social media is discipling you. Netflix is discipling you. Whatever you're receiving in, you're, you're feeding on that, and it's shaping your ideology and the direction of your life. The question is, is it recalibrated or is it consistent to the gospel of Jesus Christ? John Stott, one of my favorite preachers, who preached in London at All Souls Church for years and years and years, he said this about Romans. He goes, it is a timeless manifesto. It's timeless meaning that it's applicable to all generations of freedom. That's so key. Freedom through Jesus Christ. It is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. Its message is that human beings, that, that's you and me, didn't want you to miss it, are born in slavery to sin, and Jesus Christ came to set us free. That's what it's about. And you actually have more freedom in Christ than what you realize. Now, we don't take advantage of our freedom in Christ to do our own thing or normalize sin. And we also don't take our freedom in Christ and kind of hover it over others and look down on them and, and turn it into legalism. And this is, the, the gospel solves both of those ditches that we can fall into. Now, some of you are like, wow, man, Aaron, that sounds amazing. Um, how long have you been at this church now? Like, why haven't you taught through this sooner? And that's a really, really good question. Now, to clarify, I've taught out of the book of Romans. I've never taught all the way through Romans. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, it is extremely challenging. That's not an excuse, but it uh, is a factor. 
Uh, because uh, I don't know about you, I, I, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? I, I'm not super smart. And so it's really intimidating. And uh, what Paul writes here, I mean, this is Paul flexing his intellectual biceps. He is working through some of the most perplexing issues with meticulous logic. In fact, his logic is so meticulous that for the first 100 years of Harvard Law School, uh, first-year law students were required to read Romans so that they could study how Paul carefully built his argument. Like this is like special elite forces stuff. How many of you have ever been in an environment where you felt in over your head? Yeah, like I felt that way before. And I've just not wanted to mess this up. I've wanted for the, I wanted to wait for the right time. Uh, uh, several years ago, uh, some of you might remember that we had a guy on our staff named Dave Jamerson. And uh, Dave is now uh, leading a great church in Austin, Texas. But great, Dave used to play in the NBA. And after he retired from the NBA, gave his life to the Lord, and he joined our staff. He was a few years older than me. And uh, Dave came into my office one day, and he goes, hey, Aaron. He's like, I'm in this three-on-three basketball tournament this weekend. And he goes, we have a third that dropped out. And he goes, would you fill in? Why are you laughing? <laughs> like you started the whole laughter. I see it. Uh, so uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to feel about that. So um, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I played a little high school basketball. I can fill in. I didn't realize, he didn't share this with me, that uh, everybody that played in this three-on-three tournament was either former NBA or former NCAA players. They were all like a little bit older, but like that, that didn't matter. And I get to, and I'm, I'm 2A high school basketball, all right? <laughs> and so I get in and like, it was the fastest paced basketball I've ever played in my life. Like they would pass me the ball, I didn't even see it coming. <laughs> and they were getting so frustrated with me because I was like the weakest link. And uh, there, there's just a part of me that's like, man, I just not wanted to mess this up. Now, I want you to know, over my 14 years here, there have been some moments where I've wanted to teach through this. And I can't even fully explain this. It was almost as if the Spirit of God was like, just hold up, just hold up. And I think after the year and a half that we've had, now I know why. Like, I think this is, this is the time for us to jump in. Here's the other reason why I've just been a little apprehensive to teach it. And honestly, I'm just going to be really confessional with you. I'm a little apprehensive to teach it now. is because parts of it are extremely hard to hear. And we live in such a triggered society that if I say the wrong thing or if I don't say something that you think I should say, all of a sudden I'm villainized. And I just get you to know, like, I feel like I'm kind of stepping through a minefield. Now, now I'm going to go ahead, like, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not afraid of any of that. I just know that if this is kind of, remember that, that game Operation? That's what I feel like right now. Right? It's just like, meh, you know, it's like... And it's like, I just know, I just know that's going to happen. And especially in the first few chapters in particular, and next week especially, as we get into chapter 2. Like, I wouldn't even be surprised if just by reading parts of chapter 2 next week, I, like, I don't even make any commentary on it. Just read, just, all I did was stand up here and read it. I wouldn't be surprised if that was enough for me to get canceled, unfollowed, and unfriended. That some of you, I wouldn't be surprised. Some of you just get up and walk out of the room or you hit the escape button on your computer or you send me the little flip-off emoji, right? Which is my favorite one, by the way. And, uh, and so I just want you to, I just, I'm just acknowledging that. Our team has been really concerned about that. So they made me this handy dandy <laughs> preaching helmet, all right? And so there may be some times in this series I'll put on the preaching helmet uh, to protect the cranium because, and you, you know when you see the preaching helmet, 
that we're about to talk about some stuff that, that might be hard to hear. But um, we, need, we need to do this. I, in fact, I would go as far as to say this. Um, if by the conclusion of this series, you agree with everything you've read in Romans and everything you've heard me teach, then I've likely taught it wrong. Like it should be a big red flag. If you were like, everything you said was amazing. I agree with all of it. I've taught it wrong. Why? Well, because just like you, you and me both, our compasses have been calibrated to the ever-changing magnetic pull of the culture. We, you are being, I am being discipled every day by the content that we watch, listen to, and read. And we just slowly veer off course. But I want you to understand something. And you don't hear this in culture enough. There is a huge difference, like monumental difference, between harmful offense and constructive conviction. These are not the same. What I mean by that is that the cultural ideology of the day says if you hear something you don't like, you hear something you don't agree with, then that is uh, psychologically harmful and you don't need to listen to it. In fact, you can cancel, you can unfollow, and you can boycott. Now, I, there is a real, I'm not talking about shaming. You should never feel shame from this stage. Like I am right there in the thick of it with you. If you ever feel like your toes are being stepped on, it's because the Holy Spirit's already crushed mine. I'm not talking about um, belittling. I'm not talking about harshful judgment. I'm not talking about any of that. I am saying this. Um, the times in my life where I have grown the most wasn't when people who told me what I wanted to hear and just affirmed the direction of my life, even if it was maybe off course a, a little bit. In fact, it's always been the times in my life where I've experienced the most growth when somebody loved me enough to step into oncoming traffic and say, this is going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt me more. And I just want you to know this. I'm, I'm still setting the, the table for this series. Look, look me in the eyeballs. I love you no matter what. Aaron, you don't understand what's going on in my private life. I, no, I, no matter what. Aaron, you don't understand what's in my thought life. No, no matter what. Aaron, you don't understand what I believe about this. No, no matter what. You belong here. You were received here. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level for everyone. But I love you so much. But I love you too much not to tell you the truth in love. And the book of Romans gives us this recalibrating truth and the reason why it's going to maybe feel a little bit maybe offensive or maybe even weird to you is because we've, we've, we don't have a taste for it. We've, we've gotten knocked off, off course. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to repeat after me. All of our campuses, I want to hear you. Those of you online, say this with gusto, all right? I would rather, I would rather. my pastor... Do his best to teach God's word accurately and speak the truth to me in love rather than telling me what I'd like to hear. Man, I'm so glad you guys feel that way. I'm going to hold you to it. All right. All right. So that's all the setup. Now I want to get into Romans chapter 1. 
Look with me at verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Now, who is Paul? Many of you know that Paul's name was formerly Saul, and he was a Pharisee, which was a sect in Judaism that was like hyper devoted to the law. In other words, they really, really knew their stuff and they looked down on everybody else who didn't know their stuff. It was like, it was like uh, the worst of religion. Now, Paul wasn't, now his intentions were good, just like a lot of modern day Pharisees, their intentions are good, but we end up drifting off, off course of what the heart of the gospel message is. Now, Paul wasn't just a Pharisee. Philippians tells us he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's like the Navy SEALs of Pharisees. He was like trained under the most sought after leader of the day, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And so I say all that to say this, Paul was like at the very top of what he could achieve as a Pharisee. But in this opening verse, he introduces himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. That's interesting. Now the word slave in the Greek is translated doulos, and it just simply means this, the lowest of the low. Wow. He's gone from being the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. Now, what's that mean? He is saying there in that opening verse, uh, as a Pharisee, I used to elevate myself above people. But because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm going to lower myself and I'm going to serve people. As a Pharisee, if he met somebody who was broken and messed up in sin, he would sort of gloat and kind of look at them and go, man, what do you expect? Like, if you were awesome like me, you wouldn't be in that mess. But now he says, oh, man, I've been there too. And thank God Jesus didn't give up on me. He, he, he won't give up on you either. As a Pharisee, when he heard someone say something that he didn't like or agree with, he, he didn't attack them. He didn't cancel them. He didn't try to tear them down. Instead, he would say, well, my sin put Jesus on a cross, but God kept loving me and gave me grace. So I'm going to keep loving you and give you grace too. That's good news. And in verse 2, he goes on and he says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament. And the good news is about his son. It is not a set of propositions. It's a person that we are connected to. And in his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in that one sentence, he is saying that Jesus was fully human, born into the line of King David, and he's fully God he walked out of a grave. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus equally fulfills the justice God requires and the grace that we so desperately need. That's what he's saying. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then if we could uh, go on to uh, the next uh, passage or the next verse, it says, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles. I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but it's lowercase a. There were capital A apostles. That was the 12 disciples plus Paul. Anybody that uh, was an eyewitness to the resurrection, anybody that Jesus gave authority to that could actually write the scriptures or be under the authority of one. But now um, we are all lowercase a apostles, meaning that if you're saved, you're sent. 
That if Jesus has gotten into your life, then now you can uh, live out that gospel message and declare that gospel message. He's saying, hey, we all have the privilege and the authority by his spirit to do that. And to tell Gentiles, meaning this is available to anyone and everyone. It started with the Jewish people. Now it's gone out to the Gentiles everywhere. What God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus. And I want to go on in verse 7. It says, uh, it says, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, Paul is writing this uh, manifesto of God's grace to a group of people not so different than you and me, but they were in the city of Rome. And Rome was one of the most influential cities of the day, meaning that what happened in Rome was going to have ripple effects around the world. And he says, I'm writing to all of you. Now understand that uh, Paul did not start this church. Paul had likely not yet visited this church, although he had heard a lot about this church. It was a flagship church, a tremendous amount of influence around the Roman Empire and around the world. And Paul is in the middle of his missionary journeys, meaning he is getting this gospel of grace message out and he needs really strong flagship churches like the one in Rome to support him on these missionary journeys. But there's a big, big problem. They were fighting each other. This church was made up of Gentiles and Jews and they had just experienced a massive cultural crisis. And what happened was the Emperor Claudius had kicked all the Jews out of Rome and it was a massive crisis that disrupted their lives. But then in a change in leadership, five years later, they're all allowed to come back in. And when they came back in, the church was totally different. It was very, very Gentile. Meaning they weren't observing the Sabbath. They weren't observing dietary restrictions. They weren't doing the circumcision thing. And the Jews were really upset. And they started bickering with each other over these secondary opinions. Does that sound familiar? We've been through this before. This is a timeless account that we've all gone through a massive crisis that has disrupted our lives. Many people have left. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this last week. He pastors a church of 1,200. And he said about 1,000 people have come back physically. He goes, 800 of them are brand new. He's like, I don't even know where 800 of my people went. Like we just reshuffled the deck. We just went all, we scattered all over the place. And so now we've come back and we've all got opinions. We've all got opinions on anything under the sun. And what Paul does is he goes, no, wait a second. This is how the enemy gets in and divides you and actually lessens the power of the gospel when that happens. So let me recalibrate you to what the gospel is and what it isn't. Because it is the only hope of the world. And so I want to land on down in verses 16 and 17. What I think is just sort of like the exclamation point of this, of chapter one. He says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power, that word power is, the, the Greek word there is dynamite. Like just this explosive power of God at work, saving, say it with me out loud, everyone, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right. Notice how definitive that is. This good news doesn't tell us how to get right. 
This good news doesn't tell us what to do in order to be right. It says, no, God makes us right. It's something he gives to us in his sight. It's kind of like, I don't know, what comes to my mind is like whenever you, like, you know, your, your baby's born into the world and you're just like, oh, this is the most beautiful baby ever and it's covered in goo. But in your sight, oh man, and God looks at us through the eyes of his son Jesus and he's like, I've made you right. I, I, this is how I choose to see you now. This is accomplished. Once again, notice how definitive it is. It is accomplished. It's not left hanging in the air from start to finish, meaning we don't add anything to it. How? By faith. And that just simply means not mental or intellectual assent. That just simply means my heart is fully in it. Jesus, I trust you fully and completely. And that good news is what Paul is going to spend the next 16 chapters, 433 verses explaining. And I took a stab at actually taking that good news and maybe trying to put it into my own words. And this is what I came up with. We are all guilty, broken, jacked up sinners whose only hope is to be rescued and redeemed by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, regardless of status, knowledge, or accomplishments. That invitation is open to anyone and everyone. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. And I was to say to you, I am not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God at work. It's the only thing that can change your life. Now, some of you grew up in church and that's not what you heard. That's not what was demonstrated or communicated. And so you rejected Jesus for the wrong reasons. And I'm fine if you want to reject Jesus. Just make sure you reject him for the right reasons. Make sure that you really understand the gospel message. And I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God at work. Now, some of you would sit there and go, well, I don't think I'm ashamed of it. How would I know if I'm ashamed of it? And I would say that being ashamed of the gospel can manifest itself very subtly in one of two ways. The first way is casual Christianity. And what that means is I've got one foot in and one foot out. What that means is I come to church. God can have Sunday, but I get Monday through Saturday. Jesus can have a drawer in the dresser, but I'm not going to let him be the whole dresser. I want to pick and choose what I like about God and the Bible and make my own sort of spiritual cocktail. So I like what Jesus says about love and grace and heaven, all that stuff. That's great. I don't really like what he has to say about holiness and money and sexuality. I'm ashamed of that. So I'm not going to do that. And it's casual Christianity. And don't confuse that for the things that you need to do in order for God to love you and save you. God loves you as you are. God saves you by his grace, not anything that you bring to the table. The question is, is, is my heart fully in it? And those of you know this, um, that um, the way that marriage works is when your heart's fully in it. There's no such thing as like a casual marriage. Like it doesn't work. And at the same time, I would just simply say this. Like if my wife came to me and she said, in order for me to stay married to you, you need to give me a foot massage and you need to take out the trash every day and you need to stop cutting your toenails like over in the corner. Like, like you just need to stop doing that. Like, and I'll, I'll stay married to you. Like that, that's like an ultimatum. But actually instead of, she says, no, 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 I'm committed to you no matter what. I love you no matter what. I give you my heart and my affection and my, I'm loyal to you. And then I, 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 I don't want 
to cut my toenails in the corner. I, I, I want to give her a foot massage. You see what I'm saying? Tim Keller put it this way. He goes, we're saved not because we do those things. We're saved, therefore we do those things. It's a very different thing. So it's, a, it's not a casual Christianity. And so uh, the other way in which we can be ashamed of the gospel is divisive Christianity. In other words, I call myself a Christian, but I'm going to be mean online when I read something that I don't like. I'm going to be filled with fear because I really think the government is overreaching and I'm super afraid. If I don't stand up and say something, then, then really, really bad stuff is going to happen. And, and we forget, not, not that we shouldn't say something, not that there shouldn't be a time and a place, but we forget that our citizenship is in heaven. And I'm going to berate others for their political affiliation. And I'm going to prioritize or confuse my allegiance to certain things over my allegiance to Christ. And we just need to be reminded that, man, I love this country. I love America. But I'm also reminded of the fact that we don't worship a blue donkey or a red elephant, but a slain lamb. And that's my primary allegiance to Jesus. And I just want you to know right now that, that we have a very, very real enemy. And oftentimes, like, like this enemy has a real name. His name is Satan. He's a real guy. He's not a cartoon character with horns and a pitchfork running around playing practical jokes. He's not a good time, right? He, he's not even how Hollywood displays him, you know, with foam at the mouth and spinning heads. Like he's not even into all that. He's into deception. That's his thing. Which is why when you hear something in Romans or you hear the gospel message and you have a visceral, emotional reaction to it, you need to stop and ask yourself, why? Where is that coming from? And I just want you to crack the door open on the fact that is there any possibility that Satan has been deceiving you with smoke and mirrors? The Bible even says this. It says in the end days, people will call evil good, good evil. That's happening. And so you've just got to ask yourself, am I being deceived right now? And it's time, if so, to recalibrate to what it is that Jesus offers and to what it is that he wants to give. And I'm not going to be ashamed of it. And I'm not going to be a casual Christian. I'm not going to be a legalistic Christian. I'm going to be a humble one. Eyes fixed on Jesus. What that means is it's Jesus first and everything else a distant second. Jesus first, Democrat second. Jesus first, Republican second. Jesus first, conservative or liberal second. Jesus first, my sexuality second. Jesus first, my career second. It's Jesus first, I keep my eyes on him. And so I wanna, I wanna kinda wrap up by just um, maybe illustrating it this way. We live in a racing town, so maybe this will connect with many of us. Um, you know that when you go and you watch the Indy 500 and you see all the cars and they've got all these like stickers and decals all over them, those are sponsorships and you don't race without sponsors. And the sponsor that provides the most resources gets the biggest piece of real estate on the car. Like they get the biggest decal because they are the biggest sponsor. And then you've got secondary sponsors, you know, here on the little mirror and over here on the quarter panels or on the wing, like this one right over here. You got, and they get a much smaller piece of real estate. Now they're important, not as important as this one. Now here's the deal. Lordship of Christ means Jesus gets the biggest decal on the car. Jesus gets the most visible part of my life. Now, does that mean that your political conviction is unimportant? No, it just means it goes right here. 
Does that mean that you've got really deep-seated opinions on certain uh, social issue? Man, totally important. Just make sure that it's under the Lordship of Christ and it goes down here. Like Jesus gets the biggest decal on the car. And so what to, we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna try to dispel some myths. Like how, uh, we're gonna continue to work against the uh, currents of culture that are constantly discipling and leading us off course to recalibrate back to who Jesus is and what he offers. Because our world desperately, desperately, desperately needs real, authentic, humble, loving, gracious Christians who demonstrate the, spirits, uh, the fruits of the Spirit to a watching world, now more than ever.